And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show. Outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. What did you do? We ended our last show on a positive note. We said, take good care, have fun, take it easy. And between now and then, what are we like five steps closer to World War Three, and two major banking institutions have failed. I'm having a bad hair day. I mean, you couldn't just control yourself, could you? You couldn't have just sat down, watched Netflix and taken it easy. No, you had to go out and have a good time. Are you proud of yourself? All of the chaos in the world is your fault. <laughs> Come on, I figured we'd have a fun introduction. You know, if it, the world does crash, at least we're going to enjoy ourselves. Welcome to a wonderful experience on the Out of Limits Minute Truth. We're welcoming back to the program a passionate advocate of freedom and liberty. He's directly responsible for allowing us to ever come in contact with Dr. Ron Paul. And this individual is somebody who is just, I don't know, he just will, won't hesitate for a second to speak his mind. And he has a lot of respect within the liberty movement. He's just this force to be reckoned with, and I think we're going to hear a lot more about him in the future. Let us begin. It is a great joy to once again welcome back to our show, Mr. Daniel McAdams. Executive Director of the Ron Paul Institute and the co-host of the Ron Paul Liberty Report, which you can watch daily on YouTube. It's got a ton of people that engage. Mr. McAdams, welcome back to our show. Thanks so much for having me back, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you. So I love your tenacity, your spirit of engagement when it comes to fighting for liberty. You don't hold any punches. And I, I feel a lot uh, resonate deeply with you because it, there's just so much coming. So in the past year, where do you see the movement going? Do you find that there's momentum shifting in favor of freedom? Or do you think that in some ways that uh, the, the forces of tyranny have gotten the upper hand? How do you see the comparable difference between the trajectory of freedom last year compared to where it is this year? Well, I mean, I think it should be easier for us uh, than it seems to be right now. I mean, we have, we have we've been given so many gifts to, to make the case for liberty, you know, and I'm thinking of things like the... Uh, the Twitter files. And we saw, you know, recently the hearings before the House um, when it was definitively shown by brave journalists like, like Matt Taibbi uh, that the government was the one forcing corporations to silence Americans of the left and the right. Uh, so that's a great gift to us to argue for, for liberty. Um, on the financial uh, monetary sphere, you have um, the costs of war uh, and the direct impact on Americans who are struggling with inflation in a terrible economy. Um, uh, you've got a looming World War III. You've got even people who, even uh, members opposed to the war with Russia want to go to war with China. So there's a lot of stuff out there for us to work with, which is a good thing. But it's always a challenge, of course, to get the message out 
uh, for people who don't fully understand, uh, you know, what peace and liberty means. So a lot of opportunity out there. It's up to us to be creative and find a way to grab a hold of it. Okay. And, you know, uh, when I listen to Gerald Salente, I know he's frustrated that um, he doesn't understand why, why more people don't, you know, come together with this and get more passionate about peace. I, I can't for the life of me understand why people are not more fired up and passionate about freedom. I think freedom is fantastic. It's wonderful. It's, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. It's something that can easily unite so many people, yet they're just not into it. So what do you think could be, what are the reasons why? I mean, I, I feel like I, I feel like you and Dr. Paul and a lot of those other people out there should not be working as hard as you are. It's, it, this should be something that should be flowing a lot more easier. Why do you think it's so, it's difficult to get people fired up about freedom, especially when, you know, if you have freedom, the quality of life goes up dramatically. It's understand. Yeah, there's a lot of apathy out there, but let's not forget, Ryan, that um, in today's economy, I mean, especially if you, you know, I know you, you, you go to the store and you know what it's like. Inflation eats away at your paycheck. And mm-hmm. if, like me, you try to survive on a single paycheck, there's not a lot of time left over for political activism. And plus, you have um, the real bifurcation of politics. You're either on Team R or Team D. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a lot of outrage porn, to be honest with you. And there are a lot of grifters out there trying to make a lot of money pushing the outrage, uh, you know, both in the mainstream media and in the alternative media. So there's a lot of white noise out there. Uh, you know, that's the one great thing about a political campaign. We look at like Dr. Paul's two presidential campaigns. They're very time finite. They're very time limited. So it tends to focus the mind. We've got to get before, you know, uh, August, we've got to have these five things done, you know, and that's very helpful. Um, and for us, without a kind of time limitation, it's difficult to compete for the attention of people who really are just trying to go about their lives. And, you know, it's the proverbial frogs in the in the pan. You know, the water's getting warm, but, you know, you can adjust. People always adjust to terrible things. Uh, unfortunately, when they do wake up, it gets to, you know, it can be too late. You know, when I was back in D.C. for the rally a few weeks ago, I had lunch with some old friends who were still engaged in the military and foreign policy sector. And um, we were talking about the same thing. Why aren't more people at these rallies? Why aren't more people fired up about the possibility of World War Three? And the rest of my colleagues at the table said, you know, until Americans start coming home in body bags or they start to draft up, people just aren't going to give a crap. And sadly, that may well be true. I don't know. I hope not. That doesn't mean we give up. But, mm-hmm. you know, that that certainly, you know, is a possibility. Hey, I respect that you said that it's, it just seems that, you know, people don't respond until they reach this point where it's hard. And I always was questioning, like during the pandemic, I, I didn't believe from the moment from day one. And I know that you and Ron Paul and Gerald and James Corbett and a handful of other people in the freedom movement, you guys were calling it out from day one. And I, I just, and all this stuff happened, all this pain and suffering happened. Yeah, it, for some reason, it seems that people are still in that cognitive distance. Like they just still won't even do it. And I, I do wonder um, if they'll ever wake up. But from your experience, especially in the past few years, what do you find are some of the most effective ways of amplifying the peace movement or get, really getting people inspired and getting them involved? Like, you know, there are a lot of things you could be doing that you know, you, you, you want to push out and you want to hopefully they, they connect. But what are some of the things you see uh, hands down that are working to, to change minds and hearts? Well, one of the, if, if you want to talk about t- techniques, you know, in terms of, you know, trying to uh, uh, trying to get your point across, I, I think um, 
exposing hypocrisy is a good one. I think that helped us a lot during COVID. And things like uh, Governor Newsom of California telling everyone else to stay home. And he's off uh, at the, uh, what was the name of the restaurant? Super fancy restaurant, like yeah, $1,000 like a plate. Yeah, yeah, the French Laundry or whatever. $1,000 a plate meal. Um, you had uh, Feinstein getting their hair done. Um, basically rules for thee and not for me. I think exposing that helped a lot to realize what was happening. Uh, I think humor helps a lot. I think ridicule helps a lot. It's just a fact. And that's why I like, think look at some uh, websites uh, or some Twitter accounts like the Babylon Bee, right. um, which uh, is, you know, they're not perfect, but they're, I think, in, in spirit, they're with us. And they're able to use uh, sarcasm and, 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 and ridicule uh, to, to great effect. So um, it's going to be tough to sit someone down and say, hey, let me give you a 12 part lecture on liberty, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, as tough as it is, you know, and and anyone who wants to be educated can be educated for free. You know, just go to Mises.org and you've got an entire education in front of you. You can be you can read the greatest economic texts of all time, the greatest pro freedom things ever written for free. Uh, and some people do take advantage of it, but not enough do. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people, unfortunately, who also want to take a shortcut when they want to fight for liberty, and which is that they want to be activists without being educated. And that's um, that's unfortunately, it's a mistake. You know, I think Dr. Paul would say first read everything you can. And that's exactly what he did. You know, he he first became uh, irritated with what he saw with economic policy in the early 70s. Uh, and he didn't do he didn't become an activist. Uh, he started reading, you know, he sent in those things with your check to the fee foundation mm-hmm. and get those books and start reading those books, reading those books, reading those books. He spent years getting educated before he even opened his mouth for the first time. Uh, and that's why when he does open his mouth now, there are decades of experience and education and knowledge behind him. So we do have to try to, um, within reason, because we have our own lives, but to educate ourselves as much as possible on the issues uh, and really fully study the issues, you know, before we start trying to motivate other people on them. Okay. I'm glad you said that about being well-educated. That's that's really great because some people can get all passionate and fired up and if they're kind of not leading people the right way or giving people facts that are not correct. You can see why it would not be as successful. I observed that uh, Dr. Paul went to an event this past year called Anarchopolco, and that was a gathering of anarchists, people who don't believe in the, the validity of a state. And some of those people that are in that event, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of... um. Uh, the people that seem to be very like, normal, healthy, like I know Doug Casey was one of the, uh, I think he's friends with the organizer, Jeff Berwick. And I'm curious that based on where you're seeing things, do you find that is your position, is Dr. Paul's position kind of evolving a little bit more where it's kind of like going, are you guys going more from like, okay, well, we can have a libertarian based society of limited government, or maybe it's probably better if we go to a more decentralized society where you you have the they absolute you have no government as that capacity. I'm just curious: is there any kind of evolution in terms of um, your beliefs that are more leading more towards an anarchistic or a stateless society as opposed to a limited one? Knowing that the United States was founded on a limited government, but here we are with the the largest government of all time. Yeah, it's a tough question, you know, and and I I don't know the answer. I don't think Dr. Paul's views have changed. Uh, I don't think they 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 will change. Uh, you know. Uh, over the years, I don't, I don't, I don't hear him talking about no government, um, but I hear him talking about a government within limits and a government that does the right thing. Uh, so I, I, you know, I think well, he has a broad coalition of people that he gets along with. Um, you know, and I was with him in 
Anarchapulco. And it was a very interesting, different kind of event. Um, there are some, some good people there. There are some very eccentric people there, which makes life interesting, of course. Um, so that's fine and dandy. But, you know, I, 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 speaking just for myself, I, I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about, like, where am, I, where am I philosophically? Like, how do I define myself today? You know, what are my, what are my ideological pronouns today? <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I think about, I think about um, you know, this, the war that's, that's, that's coming. I think about the neocons. I think about NATO. Yeah. I think about the oppression of the media in bed with the government. I think about how corporations have, are, are, are forming, you know, such deep ties with government. And they all collude to deprive us of our God-given liberties uh, and so I, maybe I think in um, more tactical terms in that, in that sense that I want to do something about those rather than a broader sense uh, of who I am. And I, you know, I don't really define myself as libertarian at all, but I view, I, I view uh, fighting the state as a means to an end. You know, my, personal, my personal philosophy, guiding philosophy is a religious philosophy. Uh, and so, but I recognize that, that can only, I can only fulfill my, my religious aspirations uh, with a state that does not take half my salary, that does not tell me um, what I can and cannot do with my time and money, uh, that does not force feed uh, my children things that I find objectionable, that does not have the power uh, to do that. So my, my fight against the state is for maybe different reasons than some people. It's, it's a means to an end, not an end in itself. Okay, well put. Well, really good answer. And speaking of religious beliefs, I wonder, is it a challenge for you? And do you think it is a challenge for others that have deeply held religious beliefs that are rooted in, uh, you know, a, a teacher that was an advocate for peace, but yet you get to a point where your life is being completely threatened by uh, people that want to dominate you. There's a gentleman named Brandon Smith who we've had on our show a few times, and he's yeah. a founder of Altmark. And he writes these really interesting articles that are on Zero Hedge. And he says, basically one of his articles that there's a segment of society that no matter what, they will not, they will never ever rest until they completely control you. It's like Freddy Krueger or a villain <laughs> that will never stop coming until they control you. And what do you do in this situation? Do you coexist peacefully? It's impossible. They say, you know, it's either they have to exist or you exist. And I'm curious, how do you process it internally and how do other people within the liberty movement that have peace and love in their hearts that are very sincere, how do you guys go about this and stand and uh, continue to put up a good fight while knowing that you have these religious beliefs? I mean, these ever, do you ever get to a point where you're conflicted and how to respond, knowing whether or not they, they go against your beliefs of, of peace, knowing that at some point you, you may have to take some kind of measures that will go against those peaceful beliefs because you have to exist and not them? Yeah, but, you know, I'm not a pacifist, and you know, neither was Jesus, really, I think. Yeah. You know, he got a little bit ticked off a couple times as well. Uh, and also, I'm not perfect. You know, I lose my temper, and I get mad, and I, you know, there's always this thing like, oh, you say you're a Christian, but look, you, you know, you, you said a bad word, or you got mad at people. Yeah, okay, you know, so what? Hmm. You know, it's, it's um, uh, there are people that are, are going to mess with you. They, some will do it, like, if, you know, if your neighbor comes on your property and wants to you know, do something he shouldn't, then you can defend your home physically. Um, but like you say, if there's someone, uh, you know, not in your physical space, but you know, is trying to push back against you, a COVID is a great example. Um, you know, how do you fight back? I think you have to fight back. You're not, you yeah. can't, you can't sit and take it. Um, and, and I think we're obligated to do that, uh, to fight back, to, you know, in, in, in any reasonable and proportional means to our disposal. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I was just um, thinking about the other day, I had a pleasure of uh, speaking with your son at the Ron Paul conferences. I think it must have been in the course of four years. And I, and I saw him get tall and they got very <laughs> tall. And uh, my understanding is that he's, you know, graduated. He's top of his class. He's so, so intelligent. And I remember you had told me that you were, you guys, you had an alternative means of schooling your kids and they obviously they're, they're very smart. So from your perspective, what are some of the things that you would recommend the parents do right now in order to keep their kids engaged, keeping the values of freedom within their heart and not um, succumbing to, which can only be described. I think it's just this evil collectivism where they want kids to question their gender, where they want kids <laughs> to question history or I mean just basic stuff. I I, I can't even believe sometimes some of the things that they're they're pushing on kids right now. It, it goes far beyond a political ideology. I just look at it as okay, this is pure good and this is pure evil. Yeah. And the pure evil seems to be showing its head. So um, again, how do you you know raise a family right now and keep those great ideals within their minds while at the same time battling a Leviathan the world likes to what the world has never seen before. Yeah, well, you know, I don't want to put words in my friend Jeff Dye's mouth, but from what I, you know, recall of our many conversations, you know, the answer is separation. You just simply mm-hmm. can't be around these people. You can't let your kids be around these people. Um, you know, it's just a fact. They can't be exposed to it. Um, and uh, they would say, oh, well, um, you know, what are they going to do? That's the real world out there. No, it doesn't have to be accepted that way. Eventually, they'll see it. But, you know, I, I've never raised my kids by indoctrinating them in any philosophy. We didn't sit down and read Mises together. Maybe we should have, you know, maybe we should have. But I always, I always, I never really viewed that as my role to indoctrinate them. But I think just by osmosis, hearing me talk and talk to my wife and, and, you know, they, as you know, Ryan very well, I mean, they, they grew up basically at our conferences. And so they hear all these things and I never pushed it in them, but you know, I think thankfully, you know, they've taken it on board and they're skeptical of the state just by natural, uh, by natural means of seeing what I do. But in terms of the bad influences, um, you know, we, we, we've never, um, especially when they were younger, now they're, they're getting older, um, but um, we certainly never had, you know, things from the cultural uh, you know, swamps in the house. We did, you know, we were very careful what movies we would allow them to see and, um, you know, we, we still are careful. Um, you know, it's a little bit more, more open now that they're older, but still, I mean, the things, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Ryan, mm-hmm. you know, before I, you know, sort of moved in before I sort of really understood where I was morally with the family, you know, like some of the R films that I would have watched 25 years ago or so, I wouldn't watch it even by myself. Um, so that's just the transformation that happens. Um, and maybe it's just because the world has gotten so much more evil uh, and things have gotten so bad that we feel like we kind of have to steel ourselves uh, and, you know, <laughs> gird our loins for battle. Yeah. And you have to do that by now, not, um, you know, as the, what is the um, Mises, uh, Ludwig von Mises is in, don't give in to evil. And so yeah, that's, it's, it's really weird. And the, the fact, uh, the thing with the children, it makes me so sick. And because I just watched a special I mean, about a well-known person who was, you know, serving prison sentence for, for doing things with kids. And it seems like that, that stuff is, it's just, I hate the fact that it's, it's becoming like it, they're pushing for it to be globally accepted and it's, it's so evil. And you're talking about breaking up. I know uh, a gentleman we've had on our show a few times. I don't know if you're familiar with the Martin Armstrong. He's a legendary yeah, economic yeah. Uh, forecaster. He's great. He has his computer and he was, he makes his predictions and he said the U S was going to split. He said the U S was going to split. I don't know how many places it was, but I, I you know, I think it's a wonderful thing. If people lived among people 
who share their values. I can't see why that wouldn't be positive. I mean, some people, when they get divorced, they say, oh, yeah, well, you know, my marriage didn't work, but I was, you know, now I'm great friends with my ex. So who's to say that, you know, certain states that have completely <laughs> different perspectives, maybe they'll get along better. They're just not going to share the same bank account. I wonder if that would be a wonderful thing. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, the U.S. goes on a trajectory where it decides it's going to break up. I don't know how it's going to happen. How would something like that happen when I think in a place in Georgia, Buckhead, Georgia, you can't even get certain counties to break up from each other. So I'm curious <laughs> how something like this could theoretically speaking or hypothetically speaking happen. Yeah, there's a lot of movement in Texas for, you know, for Texas independence. And I've spoken to a lot of the people there and, you know, by and large, I think they're really good people and they've got great ideas. Um, you could spend your whole life pushing an idea like that. Sometimes it feels like, you know, you're, <laughs> you're Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill and it just falls back down. I don't, I don't know, you know, uh, I mean, I think um, culture is a leading edge, uh, not politics. I think that's what Dr. Paul would always say, and certainly not, um, not politics and certainly not Congress. So you, you have to change the hearts and minds. You have to make people understand that, that, um, that these things are possible, that secession is possible, and whether it's a physical secession of Texas from the U.S., which, you know, there are a lot worse things. Uh, but as Dr. Paul also says, I don't want to be ruled by Austin either, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, there's a perpetual problem there that someone's going to try to rule over you no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's always a problem. But, you know, there are other kind of secession. There are, you know, individual secession. There's, uh, you know, there are gated communities. There are communities that are based on shared values. And I would like to see those things thrive, religious communities, uh, where in a very, very voluntary basis, people agree to do and not do certain things, live and not live in certain ways. Uh, and hey, you know, maybe there's a pot community somewhere in Oregon where they just all agree to smoke pot all day. That doesn't bother me at all. You know, I wouldn't move there, but, you know, more power to them. As long as, as Dr. Paul says, no one is hurt and no one is stolen from and no one is killed by anyone, you know, you can do what you want. You know, uh, that'd be a wonderful thing to happen at. A gentleman whose, whose podcast I listened to said that one of the most incredible communities people really don't pay attention to is the Amish. He said the Amish don't pay social security tax. They have their, they're, they're living on their own with, and I think that's absolutely wonderful. And then there's some other religious organizations that, that, you know, they, they don't have to pay any taxes. So I just wonder how they're speaking, this would happen. And um, I know there's Dr. Paul's, and you guys have just talked about the, the situation where we had the economic collapse or the dollar crash. It seems that the dollar is something that will hold everything together. Is there any, based on what you've um, observed about history, is there anything you can also think of which would cause a cultural shift away from communism, away from Marxism, um, that would happen without some great economic pain? Do, do shifts away from these tyrannical or totalitarian type ideals only happen when people can no longer live life and life becomes too unbearable? Yeah, that's that's tough. You know, the question is, what is the tipping point? And a lot of times it's it's um, um, it's it's romanticized and dramatized in ways that aren't true. Even the fall of communism is dramatic, is dramatized uh, when you see people on the Berlin Wall, where in reality, the antecedents was much more complex than that. I, I did go into that at a speech at a Mises conference once about the, how they are more more complicated. Um, but, you know, everything starts small until it gets big. <laughs> You know, and, and I think the um, the collapse of the dollar, which I think is is imminent, you know, you see, if you look at global trade, the dollar is is losing its power tremendously. And it's by our own doing, not ours, but by the hand of the government itself. 
Yeah. You know, I think that the um, the 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 yuan, uh, the ruble, uh, all these other currencies are just um, because we sanctioned every other country. They say, okay, um, instead of saying, oh, you got me. What do you want us to do? They're saying, okay, well, we'll set up alternatives, and that's happening everywhere. We're, we're basically digging our own grave. Um, and well, I mean, there are a lot of different perspectives about that, Ryan. If you truly, like I do, you think that the people who run NATO, the people who run our foreign policy, the people who are run our our economic policy are evil, uh, then maybe a collapse is what's what's needed. I mean, the the sad part is there's a lot of collateral damage for innocent yeah. people, um, but maybe that's what it might take uh, for people to wake up a little bit and realize uh, what these people have done to us. Yeah, I, I thank you for saying that. Talking to uh, this incredible gentleman who appears at your show, um, who appears at the conference all the time, Gary, uh, what's his last name? Gary Haven. Yeah, Gary Haven. You know, right? He's yeah. been on our show. He's really been preparing for this. And we, last time we had him on, he was really discussing that about you know the smaller communities. Of all the people that you've had on the Ron Paul conferences, are there any particular speakers that have stood out that have said something that like it was really startling, but actually came true? Or are there any particular speakers that uh, you, you follow or you listen to that seem to really, um, in addition to you both, you and Dr. Paul, uh, seem to really be on the pulse of what's going on and what's coming? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Gary Haven. He's great. He's on the yeah. board of our institute. Um, he's a self-made man. He's an extremely generous philanthropist uh, with values, with real moral values, uh, you know, who puts his... He puts his time. He doesn't just write a check. He'll go in there and do it. You know, if something he's done, he rolls up his sleeve and does it. That's why he's a terrific guy. Um, but, and he's been a great speaker at our events. But I mean, I'm, I'm partial. I, I mean, I really like everyone we've had. We've had um, uh, in Lake Jackson last November, we had Del Bigtree who gave an unbelievable That's speech awesome. about COVID. I mean, I don't, uh, it was just a he's out of this world. Yeah. He's out of this world. And uh, you know, we've just had, so we've had Doug McGregor on several times. who's really laid out. Uh, how we can have a real security for our country without having war all the time. Uh, you know, we've had Scott Ritter on the show. I mean, on the, uh, on the conferences. Yeah. So there are just so many great people. Jonathan Turley spoken at our events. Mm-hmm. So um, it would be hard to single out someone uh, who's, who's really, you know, packed it beyond anyone else. But uh, I'm just, um, I'm grateful for these people that give their time and I'm, and you know, I'm honestly looking forward to our coming year. Uh, we've got a couple of conferences planned for this coming year. And for me, I mean, it charges my batteries big time to, to hear the speeches. I mean, I'm like a kid there. I'm just like, I, I love, love it. it. Every year, yeah. when you, the, the DC conference is what I look forward to the most. It's just fantastic. And I love seeing people get together yeah. beyond the speeches. The fact that people, oh, I remember you from last year. Hey, yeah. the year before. And that's just, that's what it's all about, Ryan. We've got to get together. And that's what they tried to steal during COVID, they did not yeah. want us to get together because when we start comparing notes, then that's when we get dangerous. Yeah, it's it's so weird, but this whole thing, you know, Daniel, I've talked to a, a couple of people and then they, they, I always hear this thing, well, you know, something's going to come out and, and all this stuff's going to be revealed. I'm like, well, even if everything came out, which it has been coming out, yeah. which you and Dr. Paul and other people in the free movement have been showing, you know, point blank proof. Everything that they're saying is BS or this is not true. It's like people don't have the capability. I don't know if they have the willingness or the ability to accept it. They accept the fact that they're wrong. Do you think it's more of an ego thing? Or do you think that they're, hypothetically speaking, that they could be so indoctrinated that they don't have the capability of the critical thinking skills to look beyond their own cognitive dissonance? Yeah, I think people are also desensitized. Okay. You know, something that would, 
you know, like the Nixon break-in, uh, you know, that was just shock. It shocked the nation. Um, something like that would, something like that has happened. You know, look at Hillary Clinton lied about uh, Donald Trump being an agent of Russia for four years and all of the people around her. People are just like, well, I hate him anyway, so he probably did it. You know, I mean, it's uh, we're desensitized to scandal because scandal is now intrinsically embedded in our entire body politic. And so that's a real problem. And like you said earlier, there has to be some kind of a moral, uh, you know, rebirth for people to become more outraged at these things. And I don't know. know, So that's why I say, like uh, your question, there's I don't think there's going to be a single event that's going to okay, this is it. Uh, I'm against it. No, I think it's going to be building and it is building uh, and the pressure is there. And so, I, I mean, I, I'm overall, I'm, I'm positive, uh, but we've got a long way to go before things start really getting better. I agree. So Daniel McAdams, executive director of the Ron Paul Institute and the co-host of the Ron Paul Liberty Report. I want to thank you so much and Dr. Paul and Chris for all the wonderful work that you do. And Daniel, what is the best website uh, to direct people to? Well, for the Ron Paul Institute, it's ronpaulinstitute.org. For the Liberty Report, we're live on Rumble at noon Eastern time. So go to Rumble, go to Ron Paul Liberty Report on Rumble, live noon, Monday through Friday. Awesome, Daniel. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guests and special thanks as always to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas and our social producer Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take care and thank you so much for listening.